You're listening to a podcast from Northern Lights Metropolitan Community Church. This is the sermon recording from this week's service, but first, here are the readings. St Mark's account of the Transfiguration. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than any fuller on earth could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, they were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my beloved son, listen to him. Suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. You're listening to a podcast from Northern Lights Metropolitan Community Church. And now, for this week's sermon. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be found acceptable to you, O God. Amen. Keep your mind in hell and do not despair. So taught a Russian monk, Staret Siloan, who died in 1938. There are some stories which are literally true and historically accurate, and some which are not. In the Bible, for instance, at least some references to the Roman occupation of Jerusalem and the surrounding land are about an actual historical situation while, for instance, the story of Adam and Eve is not. It's a myth. I'm not using the word myth as meaning the same as fable or legend or fairy tale. These are all different types of story, which might also be myths. By myth, I mean a story which, while probably not itself literally true or historically accurate, contains and tries to get across that which is true. Religion, in that it deals with God, is dealing with something greater than any human being can conceive. This means that the language we use in everyday conversation is often inadequate when it comes to God talk. Sometimes poets can point us towards some great truth about God or creation, but neither they, no more than anyone else, can say precisely what's what concerning God. It's not as if God is a machine that can be taken to bits with each part labelled according to its function. Stories that are myths, like some poems, can point us towards truths about God, though. But we can only go so far. A 7th century Christian teacher wrote, I'll read it slowly, it's a wee bit complicated. The perfect mind is one that, through genuine faith, supremely knows in supreme ignorance, 
the supremely unknowable. The supremely unknowable. We cannot know the unknowable as we can know a machine, but we can have at least some faith, even though our minds are far from perfect and our faith is far from perfect. And today we're looking at the story of the transfiguration of Christ. That's because this Tuesday, coming the 6th of August, the church celebrates the transfiguration. It's in the church's calendar, just like Christmas, Easter, Pentecost, and a whole lot more occasions that try to lead us deeper into the Christian faith. Now, myths contain truth for the people they were written for, so we who live 2,000 years on have to root around a bit to find truth for ourselves. That's okay. As the poet T.S. Eliot wrote, Christianity is always adapting itself into something which can be believed. I want to point to two aspects of the story that would resonate with its first recipients. One is the presence of Elijah and Moses, the great prophet and the great lawgiver of Jewish faith. Their apparent endorsement of Jesus' teaching would mean much to some Jewish hearers. And we must remember that the story was passed on by word of mouth long before it was written down. Their endorsement would confirm for Jewish hearers that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. The other aspect is its being not of this world. In this version of the story, Mark's, Matthew's and Luke's are a bit different. In this version, Jesus' clothes are said to be whiter than any fuller on earth could whiten them, could bleach them. And a fuller is someone who cleans and thickens cloth. It's quite a homely picture, but it takes us beyond what is earthly, whiter than any fuller on earth. We're not being confined to some earthly scene. And this is confirmed when God is heard with another endorsement of Jesus' teaching, this is my beloved son, listen to him. That aspect of the story reminds us of the unknowability of God, something we can relate to in our ignorance and in our human limitations. It's probably much more difficult for us to relate to the Elijah and Moses bit. We have no real interest in whether or not Jesus was fulfilling some questionable Jewish prophecy or in the qualifications these characters had for being in the story. But if we think of the transfiguration itself as a way of depicting the glory of Christ, we can make progress in thinking about how the story might help us. God is described in the New Testament as being God. God is love, we're told, in one of St. John's epistles. And Christianity claims that in Jesus Christ, we see that God-love in the purest form possible. But we also know that evil exists. The 6th of August, as well as being the Feast of the Transfiguration, is the anniversary of the dropping of the first nuclear bomb on Hiroshima in 1945. Let that event, in which many thousands were killed, stand for all the evil in our world. Today we might think of the bombardment of Idlib in Syria, the war and famine in Yemen, the horrendous treatment of gays, transgender people and others in many countries around the world. Nearer home, we have homelessness, addictions, inadequate social services 
and a generally disintegrating society. But we also have the Jesus of history, who lived and died about 2,000 years ago, and the Christ of faith, who Christians believe is somehow with us now, transfigured after his disfiguration on the cross. The transfiguration story is an attempt to get across to us the idea of the Christ beyond history, beyond time and place. It helps us to maintain hope while trying to do something about the evil that surrounds us. So we can keep our mind in hell and do not despair. The hell in which so many people have to live disfigures their lives. We whose lives are not perfect, but who need not despair, we're invited to stand with Christ where divine love and evil meet, to stand alongside others in their need, in their pain, in their disfigurement. The story of the transfiguration is immediately followed by Jesus encountering a boy who has dreadful epilepsy. There's no question of going back up the mountain to a nice religious comfort zone. Jesus has to get stuck in to helping the lad and his despairing father. And in doing that, he transfigures one whose life is disfigured by disease. So, on Tuesday, let us remember the millions of people, near and far, whose lives are disfigured by warfare, famine, lack of education, discrimination, prejudice, and by a multitude of other causes. And let us remember the transfiguring energy of Christ, thereby getting our priorities right. Doing that, we can also remember that we are called to use this energy in putting hands to heart, hands and heart, to some work of help and healing that is within our reach. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Northern Lights Metropolitan Community Church. To find out more about what we do, head across to our website, www.northernlightsmcc.org. Dot org dot uk